0: So I recorded a video, two months or so, me just sitting in my room. And I said, you know, as they've been saying online, the show must go online. And Rob Miles, I think I was quoting you. You're the (laughs) one who coined this term and has turned it into a, a, a virtual Shakespearean juggernaut. Was
1: that your goal always? Absolutely not, no, couldn't be further from the truth.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 704, Lockdown Shakespeare Pioneer. Rob Miles, along with his producing partner Sarah Peachy, is the creator of The Show Must Go Online, which since March 19th of 2020 has been creating fully, if madly, rehearsed productions of Shakespeare's entire canon in the order in which the plays were written once a week using actors and fight directors from all over the world. Rob and I talked about 10 days ago, and since then I've been able to watch him in action because I'll be acting in Rob's The Show Must Go Online production of Shakespeare's King John this Wednesday, June 10th. Rob's an incredibly smart and lively director, I have now found out, and I've been amazed at how much text analysis and fun theatricality he and his team managed to cram into these productions with only about 18 to 20 hours of rehearsal. Rob began our conversation by telling me how the idea of The Show Must Go Online came to him in the first place.
1: I had gotten as far as thinking about doing a reading online uh, of a Shakespeare play. I think I would attended some readings by a great friend of mine called Jonathan the Billen in London. And they were these informal reads where actors who knew each other and liked each other would get together in the pub and they'd read one of the uh, plays of Shakespeare in a chronology uh, every week. And it was done just for the love of it. There were no audience. Uh, nobody did any rehearsal or prep or anything like that. It was just a cold read. Uh, and I'd uh, gone to probably four or five of those and really enjoyed them. Uh, and so that's where I'd kind of already had the idea kind of planted in my mind before then. Uh, I lost a gig in uh, early April that would have taken me through uh, April. And that day, I think I saw three or four of the friends losing out as well. Uh, and it, very, it became obvious at that point that we were the first dominoes to fall and that this was going to be a much bigger thing. So at that point, Uh, I just started to think about, you know, what, what would make me feel better about the situation? (laughs) And uh, usually the answer to that is doing some Shakespeare. So I put out the idea of let's do an online reading group uh, where we uh, read one of the plays for Shakespeare each week. And within about four hours, I think I'd had 100 responses. Um, And that was, you know, I was expecting maybe 20 people to be interested in uh, doing the read and maybe 10 people watching. Uh, Total, and yet there were 100 within an hour or within a couple of hours. And then by the third day, I think we had 300 people uh, that were interested in taking part. And so we've clearly caught the zeitgeist. It was clearly something that there was an appetite for. Uh, And we were just in a fortunate position, myself and my producing partner, Sarah Peachy, that we'd done work in innovation uh, as part of the kind of creative development side of that. Uh, which includes new product development and rapid prototyping. And so we were we were familiar with Zoom from a lot of our freelance work to work with clients in America and stuff like that. Uh, so we kind of knew about Zoom, quote unquote, before it was cool. <laughs> and uh, that gave us a, a slight advantage. Uh, but also because we're used to fast turnarounds and things like that, we were able to get the infrastructure in place for the help of some incredible friends of ours, uh, Ed and Kay Guccione, who helped us with... Um, the kind of design of how to wrangle that much data. because when you've got 300 actors coming to you and saying, I wanna be in it, you've got to have some kind of filtering system, right? So we managed to get everything in place uh, and we managed to do the first show within six days of the first idea being had, which was extraordinary. Uh, And really it was down to those actors that took part in that first read because we were working through the text with this idea that it was kind of like a, a read on auto cue, as it were so we'd, we'd figured out how we could uh mask the reading from the audience so it would feel a bit more immersive that was kind of step one and then we got to bits where things needed to be handed over and so we were like well force perspective towards the camera and out and then away from the camera and in that kind of reads so that's cool uh and then those actors once we'd uh, given them those kind of impetus if you like mm-hmm. uh started to just generate material and started to make pictures and started to get carried away and that's been part of our uh, ethos ever since you know we encourage all of our actors to get carried away to pitch stuff to us we are interested in driving this medium forward in exploring how to use the medium in different ways and no one person can ha- ever have all the ideas so i as a director have never worked that way anyway i'm, I'm interested in what the actors are going to bring to the table And those actors really brought an extraordinary amount to the table. And then from there, we understood what the willingness was as well, because we thought, well, you know, maybe actors aren't actually going to be up for rehearsing. Maybe actors aren't actually going to be up for being choreographed or having camera blocking and things like that. And what's been wonderful is each time we've offered up a concept and said, we'd like to experiment with this. The actors have uniformly come back and gone, hell yeah, that sounds like an amazing idea. I'm really up for that. Uh, And so it's really all just down to uh, what a wonderful, creative bunch of people, actors are, that we've been able to continue to, uh, I guess, push the boundaries of the medium, really, and and keep coming up with new things to surprise and delight our audience each time. Uh, Well, it's amazing. And,
0: and, And I lost so much of what you just said, because I'm still sitting here wistfully weeping at the idea of reading Shakespeare in a pub. (laughs) it's uh, something I miss and uh, oh god wouldn't that be a nice thing to return to um no but what's fascinating is it's like two weeks ago on the podcast I talked to a, a friend of mine who's directing the newest show at second city and how you devise a sketch show in a live space and that conversation even as we were having it felt like I was talking about divining rods or alchemy or an ancient way of doing things and really the people we need to be talking to are guys like you who are figuring out how to do what we do, tell stories communally in this new virtual landscape. I mean this moment required a Rob Miles and thankfully we seem to have him.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well thank you very much.
0: After we made our appointment to chat uh, 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 I read that you did an interview with my friend Ronan Hatful and you and you explained that you were you were using the order of Shakespeare's plays. You were going in an order like th- that it has on the internet. So maybe not the Norton order, or the more
1: no, the I Wikipedia think, order. The, the Wikipedia. Wikipedia order, yeah. So and, we, you and know, that we're you've learned
0: about... how to do. You've you've learned how to produce your plays in the same way Shakespeare was sort of learning how to write his plays.
1: Exactly that, yes. So what we found doing the shows in that uh, chronological order was that Shakespeare's own ambition. And his own uh, way of, I guess, dramaturging and producing his plays became uh, exponentially more complex as as he went along. So we started with Two Gentlemen of Verona, and we didn't realise at the time how easy a time that had given us by doing that one first, because it is a lot of two people in a room talking, and that's wonderful. But then before you know it, we're suddenly into the histories where you've got huge casts, incredible complex relationships, and it kind of struck me in a way that Shakespeare was playing with different uh, genres of theatre as it would have been understood at the time as well, because you had passions and pageants and uh, these kind of half day uh, events that were more, much more like variety shows, really. And you had a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it seemed to me that the histories in particular, those Henry VI part uh, two, three and one, uh, were very much... Uh, cut from that cloth. They were, they were created to give something for everyone and also created to take place over probably half a day because we had to, you know, what, what we've always said is that we want to give people the full experience of the play. So we try never to cut full scenes. We try never to cut whole characters. Um, we've had to make a couple of uh, efficiencies here and there. Uh, but we also do want to keep the runtime down to about two and a half hours because, of course, we're producing this on YouTube, and that really is the very limit of the online attention span. And let's be clear, we did not anticipate people sitting and watching the whole show live, uh, certainly not in the numbers that they are doing. We didn't expect that people would then, even even if they hadn't watched it live, sit down and watch the whole show on catch-up, and yet people are doing this. The attention span is there, the appetite is there, Um, And that was something that totally blew our minds as well. Uh, But as far as creating theatre that that responds to the moment that we're in now and that uh, audiences want to see now, the medium itself helps you because the audience are feeding back live. You have a live chat where there are hundreds of people telling you what they like about what you're doing. And that is market research that you couldn't pay for in regular (laughs) theater. You just have to rely solely on instinct. And so we are being guided in our evolution to explore certain uh, ideas or concepts that we've uh, experimented with more because the audience have responded to those so enthusiastically. But Rob, some of us are old and we don't want to learn new things. (laughs) <laughs> and I totally understand that. I totally understand that. Um and you know, we are we are doing it and we're happy to do it, and we're helping other people do it as well. You know, we've had Around about 20 companies get in touch, uh, including drama schools and people like that that are doing their graduate shows, uh, saying, you know, how do we do this like that? Uh, and we support them with full materials and resources and try and make sure that they're set up for success and all that kind of thing. Because we know that we've been doing this uh, since the start, if you like. And, and we're certainly, I think, uh, I think Ronan in his article referred to us as the most prolific producer of Lockdown Shakespeare. Uh, and I think that's true. Uh, and it certainly feels true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we've just been making sure to uh, keep, uh, not get complacent, I guess, and just and keep trying to push the edges. Uh, yeah. and, and by doing that, it means that now, a lot of the questions that we get from people who are coming to this for the first time uh, are things that feel quite easy and natural to us and things that we've, we've managed to make quite efficient in our, in our kind of processes, I guess.
0: Hello, this is Elizabeth Dennehy, otherwise known as Lieutenant Commander Shelby from Star Trek Next Generation. Welcome to the Reduce Shakespeare Company's podcast. Well, at least it's not a convention. <music> Where can you RSC, the RSC? Right now, the only place to see the remote Shakespeare company is online. We've created a brand new page at our website, ReduceShakespeare.com, where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. Right now, you can see The Ring Reduced, where we transform Wagner's 17-hour ring cycle into a brief and palatable 23 minutes. Lost Reduced, where we cram the first five seasons of the landmark TV show Lost into 10 minutes. Our appearances on two Jeopardy tournaments of Champions, plus some brand new videos recorded and shot especially for right now, and the almost two-hour video Q&A that Reed Martin and I conducted on Facebook, and our reduced reunion of over 50 RSC actors, stage managers, and wardrobe goddesses from at least four different time zones. Just go to our website, reducedshakespeare.com, and click on the Remote Shakespeare Company link. We'll continue to add to this page, so be sure to bookmark it. You can grab your own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin, and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. and you can definitely see us and interact with us in almost real time on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now back to my conversation with Rob Miles, the co-creator of the show must go online, weekly productions of Shakespeare performed on YouTube. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You have you, you work in innovation and new technologies, and are and are, uh, uh, and are <laughs> Zoom proficient uh, before it was cool. What what? But you studied theater. This was what you are. You an, you're an actor. You're a director. Where did you come yes. from? How did you
1: begin? <laughs> well, I come from a place called Barnsley uh, in South Yorkshire. Uh, we played is- Barnsley. Did you? Sure. Fantastic. Amazing. Amazing. Was it the Civic? Yes. It's yes. exactly where it was. Yes. Yes. I know the Civic very well. Yeah. I'm from Barnsley originally, which is a kind of working class northern former mining town, which uh, it, all of those connotations are filled with um, ideas and stereotypes that kind of get into people's heads, especially in in England itself. Um, And as a result of that, I had what I feel was a sheltered upbringing, uh, certainly when it comes to um, diversity and imagination, if you like. And uh, it was actually uh, watching Star Wars when I was about eight years old uh, that just blew my mind. I couldn't imagine that, uh, that it was possible to invent something like that. Uh, and that was really what made me click onto the idea of storytelling and have been just running that horse ever since, really. Um, and so I went to university, studied psychology because I wanted to better understand people uh, and why they do what they do, uh, which to me felt very uh, kind of simpatico with storytelling. And yet it's something that whenever I bring it up, people think that it's somehow very different, uh, very, very separate. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of drag the two uh, things back together. Uh, And then uh, once I'd finished uh, university, because I I was the first person in my immediate family to go to university, Um, I I was also someone that didn't know drama school existed until after I'd completed university because of my background and what have you, it just wasn't ever an option that was apparent to me. Uh, And then once I'd finished university, I went to Japan for a year to study English um, because I was well into uh, Japanese culture and all that kind of thing. And I, I did some martial arts and all that kind of stuff. But while I was out there, I got injured uh, in a karate tournament. I got my throat collapsed, got kicked in the neck. Uh, And uh, that made me think, you know what? I don't actually want to do this. I want to do what I've seen in the movies, which is pretend, and you don't actually get hurt. And so then I started uh, training stage combat over in Japan uh, with a guy called Tetsuro Shimaguchi, who uh, did the final fight in Kill Bill, Volume 1, between Lucy Liu and Uma Thurman. it's, very, it's called chambara. It means sword dancing. Uh, it's this really rhythmical, lyrical kind of uh, sword fighting. And so I kind of got, got involved in that while I was out there. As a teenager, I'd done little bits of uh, the YMCA had like a charity outreach drama club thing. So i would like done a little bit of stuff with that as a teenager. And it was really when I was in Japan that I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And having that time completely in a different context and a different culture to kind of reflect on what matters to you was really valuable. And and what came out of that was storytelling. So then from there, I joined a charity as a marketing guy and I started doing video stuff. And that's the start of my freelance career, if you like, because I have a habit of just saying yes and then figuring it out later, which is the kind of freelance golden rule, right? You you say yes to the project and then you figure out how to do it. And certainly that was the case with this one as well. Um, so I started doing marketing through that marketing, I started doing video through that video. I got the chance to do a documentary in Kashmir on earthquake victims. Uh, so I actually had to go out there, shoot it myself, present it, do all the interviews, edit it, do it, do all that kind of stuff. So I was learning that kind of storytelling then. And by the time I'd kind of done all of these things, I was getting involved in the amateur theater and, and trying on, um, Proper acting, if you like, for size. Uh, And that's when I got introduced to Shakespeare for the first time since secondary school. Hated it in secondary school. Hated it. Um, And, you know, it's all to do with the way that it's taught and the way it's thought about. And the idea that it's there to be read, it's not, it's there to be said, get on your feet, do it, and then it all suddenly makes sense. Uh, But we didn't have that option and we only kind of very lightly touched on it. So amateur theatre introduced me to Shakespeare. I hated that for the first, you know, three weeks of rehearsal. And then, Someone told me something uh, and I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it might've been uh, about iambic pentameter and the idea of the alternate stresses, And, and if you follow that, it, it will, it will tell you where the stress needs to be for it to make sense. It was just something super simple and basic like that. And then this just fire just lit. And I was like, Oh, the more you look, the more you find that's interesting and so then i started looking and looking and looking that's also iambic what you just said <laughs> it's right in there right it's yep. so so intuitive now it comes out by accident but that that was the thing so i started then getting really interested in it exploring it and doing more of it and and then I looked into what it means to be a professional actor. Well, you've got to go to drama school. Okay, so I'll apply to drama school. Okay, well, you can't get funding because you've already been to university and drama school costs 36,000 pounds and you're working class, so that's not happening. So then I started looking at who are the actors I admire? Uh, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren. What did they do? The Rep, interesting. Okay, The Rep doesn't exist anymore okay, what do we do now? We just start <laughs> applying for things, right? And so I just started applying for everything I could, and I ended up doing a show uh, where I met my wife, incidentally, in London while I was living in Yorkshire. And so I would get the bus down every week uh, and do the rehearsals and then get the bus back up uh, after the rehearsals had finished. And it was absolutely exhausting, but I got to do my first play in London, and that, was, that felt like a big deal at the time. And from that... Uh, you just start to meet people and one thing leads to another. And before you know it, I'd moved to London uh, and uh, I was getting involved more in kind of fringe theatre and stuff like that. And then there was a company that came along called Merely Theatre, run by Scott Ellis, uh, who uh, was incredibly kind to me and gave me a chance to be part of their kind of troupe. Uh, and through that, I got to do Shakespeare. We did 10 Shakespeare. I did 10 Shakespeare's in a year, one year, uh, back to back. Uh, and I, I was just in absolute immersion mode and I just wanted to find out as much as I could obviously listening to the directors and learning as much as I could from them but also reading every book I could get hold of all that kind of thing uh, I was lucky enough to get some great recommendations of, of where to do that research um, and and so it just kind of cascaded from there to the point where I had become singularly obsessed with it and I wasn't really interested in doing much else uh, and so because of that I then managed to get into mid-scale regional touring work and then getting to do uh, a a lot more kind of, uh, what's the word, kind of more ambitious productions, I guess. I've done a couple of Shakespeare productions with Rift. They did an overnight Macbeth in a tower block, an immersive production, where you started on the ground floor of the tower block and then you went all the way to the top of the tower block as the show went on and as the acts progressed. Uh, They also did a, a Midsummer Night's Dream Uh, underneath the Alexandra Palace which is uh, a kind of famous uh, monument in uh, the outskirts of London in North London Uh, and they use the basements of that to create this sort of liminal space idea Uh, and uh, because I've been so obsessed with it they actually invited me to be an associate director for text on the show and so I was like yes absolutely I would love to nerd out with people about text Um, so that was wonderful Uh, and from that I kind of came back around full circle to directing um and so now i still consider myself primarily an actor but definitely also a director and the weird thing about this situation is that i started this journey filming a documentary and learning filmmaking and learning camera work and that now is starting to come into fruition in this medium where Just simple things like I am more important than you with the camera being underneath me and me looking down and things like that. Just the very basics of film school, right? And rule of thirds, where should the eye line be? All that stuff suddenly matters in this context where it didn't matter in theatre. So it just goes to show you, there's a wonderful Honda advert where where the strap line, it stuck with me forever, was everything we do goes into everything we do. And I've kind of nipped that because that's how I absolutely feel about... My experiences and and my kind of journey, really,
0: you are absolutely prepared for this moment and and it 's funny that, that you mentioned Star Wars as a formative thing because your the show must go online uh, complete readings of Shakespeare has included right, the, the, the Ian Desher's books, uh, the That's Star Wars. right,
1: that's absolutely right. Yeah, we did Shakespeare's Star Wars, uh, just excerpts from, we didn't do the whole thing, we did about an hour of Shakespeare's Star Wars, including some of the kind of favorite, most recognizable moments from uh, A New Hope, as it's now known. Right. Uh, and yeah, and it was an absolutely tremendous experience. And that's one of those many unintended consequences that when we started this, we had no idea where it was going. And Ian was actually there for the first performance of uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona, watching live. He'd found out about it through his project, Shakespeare 2020, where some of the same people were talking about it. And so he came along to see that. He really enjoyed what he saw. And then he saw the opportunity in that. I'm given to understand that Disney are very particular about rights for performances and that these scripts are subsequently very rarely performed. Mm. And again, I think due to the format and the medium, but also due to the moment and the need to kind of bring joy to people however possible, right? Uh, Disney actually gave him permission to produce it with us. And and that blew our minds. The idea that um, I can say now that I've directed a version of Star Wars that's going to be my like fun <laughs> fact about yourself, right? For every for every introduction I ever give about myself, will be like, oh, and I had the chance to direct Star Wars. It'll Amazing. be on your
0: tombstone. I directed Star yes. Wars. Google it. Um- <laughs> That's it. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. The show must go online happens every Wednesday for the foreseeable future at 7 p.m. in London, which is 2 p.m. in New York, 1 p.m. in Chicago, and 11 a.m. in California. Their production of King John, in which I'll be playing the slimy Cardinal Pandolf, will be this Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. Go to robmiles.co.uk/slash/the-show-must-go-online for more information. And if you've missed any of their productions, they are all available at any time at Rob's website or on YouTube. And if you'd like to be in one of their productions, you can sign up to participate at Rob's website, robmiles.co.uk slash the show must go online. Then send us your lockdown content via email to feedback at reduced Shakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE podcast on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Rob Miles on Twitter at Rob Miles miles with a y and you can follow the show must go online on twitter at tsmg online live Thanks, as always, to Zoom Padawan Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Mike Trulock. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to my friend Elizabeth Dennehy, who put me in touch with Rob and played the Duke of Gloucester in the Show Must Go Online's production of Henry the Sixth, Part 1. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe and stay home. I'm Austin Titchener, 704, 2,012 of the Reduced Shakespeare Company.
1: Where do you think now the show goes online goes? It's a really good question. We are not a company. I think that's something that surprises people is that we are a movement. We are a community of like-minded individuals, we treat everybody that takes part as co-equal contributors, because without every single one of them, there would be nothing there, there would not be a show. And so while uh, Sarah and I are doing a lot of the organising and the, the vision, if you like, stuff, um, the top line, we still need everybody in order to make it work. And that to me is a, a truism of Shakespeare, and it's something that I really believe about Shakespeare is that it should be for everybody as well. So one of the features of the work that we're doing, yes, we have incredible professional actors donating their time and talent, and that is amazing, but we also have um, passionate amateur actors that have never worked professionally. And we also have people that just really love reading them and have never said the words out loud before. And we want to make sure that we continue to be inclusive of all those groups of people, because we want somebody out there to tune into one of our shows one day and see someone sharing space with these experienced veterans who's never done it before and look at them and go, I reckon I could do that. And if we give them permission to say those words out loud, that is going to inspire them in ways that we don't know about, and it's going to keep Shakespeare alive in a way that we haven't necessarily anticipated. And it's going to make sure that this pedestal that it gets put on gets put to bed forever. Because Shakespeare is incredible work of magnificent genius. It is. It is. But it's also a lot of dick and fart jokes in a row, and it's a lot of... Um, human drama and melodrama that relates to direct lived experience of real people and I hope that because this will be there free to watch forever accessible to anyone with an internet connection I just really hope that that allows more people than are watching live in the moment more people than are watching on catch up in the next few days I want to know who who's going to pick this up and discover it in 10 or 15 years, when it's still there to be watched. This
0: podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing
1: expectations since 1981.
0: Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much S- less. S- so, S- much S- less. S- so much less. S- S- so much less. S- S- so